This podcast is offered by Hakkabai Zen Center on the web at hakkabai.org. Our programs are made possible by the generosity of people like you. So, the first question is who is teaching? It seems like an easy question. I'm teaching. But maybe it's not so easy. Uh, Maybe really Sensei's teaching because last week we sat outside on the rock in the sun and had a conversation and that conversation led to things that lead to me teaching, me saying these things. So maybe Sensei's teaching. Maybe the rock is teaching. Maybe the tree that we were looking at that Sensei was talking about, maybe the tree is teaching. Or maybe Alex is teaching because Alex made lunch and dinner. And if Alex had made something different and I felt different, didn't eat as much, maybe I would say different things. So maybe Alex is teaching. Or maybe Hojo-sama is teaching. Maybe Bone Hojo-sama who ordained some of us in Japan in December and said some things during the ceremony that I made me think of things that then led to tonight. Or maybe Kebun Hojasama. Maybe Kebun is teaching. And we can go back. Tomorrow we haven't done this yet, but tomorrow in the morning during services, we'll say the ancestors chant, 87 ancestors. The last one is Tenzan Kebun Dai Yusho, but before the hymn is Gyozan Kine Dai Yusho, and before him is Yakaran Bunchi Dai Yusho, and so on, backward and backward and backward, generation, generation, generation. It's one of the sweetest things we say in the services, I think. You can go back, you can go back to number 51, Ehe Dogen Dai Yosho. We're going to be reading Dogen this week, tonight. So maybe 51 is teaching Ehe Dogen Dai Yosho, but maybe you have to keep going back and back and back before number one, Shakamuni Butsu Dai Yosho. And before Shakamuni Butsu, there's teachers in the ancestors chant before, before the person that we recognize as the fully awakened Buddha. And all those people pass down something, one by one, in an unbroken line of 80 some odd people to sensei to 
me to you. So maybe all of those people, maybe the Buddha is teaching. Can't be me because I don't know, I have no idea what you're hearing. I'm making sounds, but what you're hearing, the meaning you're making of the sounds, totally depends on you. Maybe it's what you ate for dinner, too much, or you're distracted by the sound of the car on Arapaho, or your knee still hurts from sitting all day, or you're antsy, or you're tired. I don't know. Or all of the thing, all of the people that have taught you all of the lessons that have been transmitted down to you, that's what's teaching. Because whatever I say gets interpreted through all those filters of what you hear. So we end up with Buddha teaching Buddha, which might be closer. When the Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha, was first recognized his, his own awakening, the story is that he stayed quiet. Some stories say for days, some stories say for longer than days, but in all the stories he stays quiet for a long time. And this is funny because you'd think if you were fully awakened, you would jump up and down and run down the street and shout it from the rooftops. But he doesn't. He sits there and he stays quiet. Why? There's lots of possible answers, I think, why, but one might be this very problem of who is teaching. Because it's easy to immediately assume I am doing something to you. He was doing something to us, to the people that he started to speak to. And that's immediately confusion. Before he gets out of the gate and dangerous, if we can guess anything about Shakyamuni Buddha in that moment, he had had to have been committed to doing no harm. And so maybe the waiting, maybe the silence was because he knew right out of the gate, saying anything, there's the risk. There's the risk that either I get all puffed up. Ooh, I'm teaching. Ah. Uh-oh. Thump, thump. Or we get confused right at the beginning. Duality, dualism creeps in right at the start. So maybe the closest we can get is Buddha teaching Buddha. Now it's convenient 
maybe you think it's convenient for me to start this way because then I don't have to be fully responsible for anything. But that's not quite right either. I'm fully responsible and you're fully responsible. We're fully responsible teaching. And that's, I think, a good way to start Sashin. Because we're fully responsible for Sashin, for what happens this week, for what we learn, for I, I'm not responsible, and you're not responsible. We're responsible for learning and teaching. Fully responsible, non-dual, collective learning teaching. So now that we've cleared that up, we're going to read this week uh, one of Ehe Dogen's writings called Fukan Zazengi. And I printed them out. There's lots of them around. Now, Dogen, who is Dogen? Kiko, could I borrow your clock? Because I have no idea what time it is. Oh, thank you. Ehe Dogen, if, if that's, he's new to you, Master Dogen, was born in 1200 in Japan, and he's ordained as a Zen monk, and that eventually, uh, I think he was 23, he goes to China. He's dissatisfied, and he goes to China, and he studies in China, Long story short, he comes back about four years later uh, and he writes, the first thing he writes is the Fukan Zazengi. This short little thing, two pages, that I think we could probably teach for a year from this two little pages. Uh, he then goes on to write all sorts of other things as some of you have memorized. Um, and they're much more famous, but this is pretty famous too because it's the first thing he writes, and it's succinct, and it has lots and lots in it. So, we'll start at the beginning. I'm not going to get very far tonight. Uh, Fukan Zazengi. What is Fukan Zazengi? The translation on this page is universally recommended instructions for Zazen. Fu is universal. So it means everybody, not just monks, not just smart people, not just nobility, everybody, Fu. Khan means recommended, but apparently it also means something a little different than recommended. It means like urge, to urge, important, not just eh, but important. Universally urged important instructions for Zazen, Za, sitting, Zen, Zen, sitting Zen. But it's a little more confusing than that because Dogen, what does Zazen mean to Dogen? It doesn't just mean sitting Zen, what does Zen mean? That's a hard question. 
So one of the things you'll see Dogen say a lot, various places, if you try to define Zen with words, is the word Shinkantaza, which is usually translated as just sitting. So when people say, what do you do in Zen meditation? People say Shinkantaza, just sitting. But it's important, Shinkan doesn't mean just in the sense of like merely, merely sitting. What are you doing? And we're just sitting. Huh. Sitting. And it also doesn't mean only sitting. Like just as in only. It means just as in um, like totally, fully, wholly, completely sitting. Shinkantaza. Universally urged instructions for sitting wholly and completely, fully. Another word that Dogen uses a lot, that it would be pretty good for Zen if you were trying to substitute a word in there, is shishuito. Shishu. Shishu. Shishu means she, practice, and shu or show, enlightenment or realization, practice realization. So you could substitute that in, universally, universally recommended or urged instructions for sitting practice enlightenment with a hyphen, practice enlightenment, gi. Gi is ceremony. Ceremony but it's ceremony done by a person with righteousness and sincerity. So our instruction, our title's just gotten really long, <laughs> right? So universally for everybody, urged instructions for sitting fully and completely in practice enlightenment with righteousness and sincerity. The way is originally perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? Now, this is Dogen's 20-year-old question. Lasts his whole life. But it's the question he goes to China to try to answer. If the way is perfect and all-pervading, how could it be contingent on practice and realization? If the Buddha is teaching the Buddha, what are we doing here? Why do we have to be doing this? Why do we have to sit and knees hurt and look at the wall? How could it be contingent on anything, let alone on practice and realization? This is Dogen's life question. And he gets this second line, how could it be contingent on practice and realization from an old story? Uh, the sixth ancestor in China, Huineng, uh, has a disciple come named Nanyue. Nanyue comes to see Huineng and the master Huineng is sitting there and Nanyue walks in and Huineng says, what is it that thus comes? Now, this is an intimidating question. <laughs> what is it that thus comes? 
And Nanyue is so freaked out that he leaves and he goes back into the monastery and he practices for eight years without saying anything. Doesn't go away, he just goes back into the monastery, he doesn't approach Huineng again. And he goes and he practices for eight years, and at the end of the eight years, he comes back. And Huineng says, what is it that thus comes? And Nanyue says, oh no, Huineng says, how do you understand it? And Nanyue says, speaking about it won't hit the mark. Huneng says, does it rest on practice and realization? Nanyue says, it's not that there is no practice and realization. It's that they cannot be divided or defiled or lots of other words. But it's not that there is no practice and realization. It's that they cannot be divided. And Hunang's happy with that answer. He says, all the Buddhas have thought that. All the Buddhas concur. So that's where Dogen is getting this. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? Nanyue says, it's not that there is no practice. It's not that there is no realization. It's that they cannot be divided. The true vehicle is self-sufficient. What need is there for our concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is free from dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? This is also an old story. When Huneng, before, when, before Huneng becomes the sixth ancestor, the fifth ancestor, his ultimate teacher, is looking for his disciple to step forward and he asks the monks to write a poem expressing their awakening on the wall of the monastery. And the lead monk, the sort of obvious choice, the person who everybody thinks is going to be the, the next ancestor, the sixth ancestor, everybody pretty much gives up. They don't even do anything. They're pretty convinced it's all going to be him. And so he goes and he writes in the middle of the night the following poem. He writes, the, bo the body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a bright mirror's stand. Polish it diligently so no dust can collect. Good poem. And Huneng, remember the guy from the previous story who was the master, but at this point he's just a cook. He's an illiterate young man uh, in the monastery, and he asks someone to, tr to read him the poem that the, cho you know, the likely disciple has written. And... They do, and he goes and he writes his own version of the poem, of a poem, on the same wall, or he has someone write it for him. And his version is, Bodhi originally has no tree. The bright mirror has no stand. Buddha nature is constantly purifying. What place could there be for dust? So you can see where Dogen's getting this. What place could there be for dust? And the fifth ancestor, in a secret ceremony in the middle of the night, pulls the young Huneng in who's illiterate. He's all, the fifth ancestor is worried that he's going to get in deep trouble, uh, but he recognizes that Huneng understands something uh, and he teaches him 
and he becomes the sixth ancestor. Now, it's easy to say that the first poem is a bad poem, but it's not. The body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a bright mirror stand. Polish it diligently so no dust can collect. Practice. It's a good poem. I like it. And Huneng's poem is also a good poem. Bodhi originally has no tree. The bright mirror has no stand. Buddha nature is constantly purifying. What place is there for dust? Also true. Shushoito, practice, realization. Practice, realization. So Dogen starts this whole thing with this. What need is there for our concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is free from dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It's never apart from this very place. What use is there going off here and there to practice? That's a tough one for people who have just started a week-long retreat. <laughs> what use is there going off here and there to practice? So the beginning of this is, is important because if we're going to have any kind of sanity this week, this is the question that Dogen begins with, and it's the question the whole Fukan Zazengi is answering, or struggling with. Can you see it is never apart from this very place? My, I was going to pass out flowers, which is why you have paper towels next to your thing, but we don't have time. And they'll get you wet, and there's thorns on them. So we're going to just imagine a flower for a second. If you look at a flower, particularly the flowers in the garden right now, outside, and you really look at a flower, and just absorb yourself into the flower for a second, every flower is perfect. It's almost an insult to a flower to not recognize that a flower is perfect. You look at a flower, it has curled edges maybe, or a leaf bent or broken or out of place. But when you really look at it, none of that matters. It's still perfect and imperfect. It does have the broken leaf and the curled petals, and somehow it doesn't matter. I like to garden. We're all going to garden a lot this week. What are we doing when we're gardening? We're tending to this perfection, imperfection, this perfect imperfection or imperfect perfection. We're, we're tending to something that's already perfect. Shushoito, right? Practice realization. You're tending to something that's already complete. Every, there is nothing other than this place. There's nothing, it is never apart from this very place. 
The flower's already perfect. You're already perfect and imperfect. And when you tend to something, you can tend to it with imperfection in your mind. Oh, shoot, see, it's bent and broken. But the flower can't be any different than it in this moment than it is. The flower is its fullest expression of flower right now. Yesterday it was different. Tomorrow it'll be different. But even when it's mush and just soaking into the ground and feeding other plants, it's still perfect in that moment in its mushiness. The flower can't be something else. And you can't either. You can't be any different than you are right now. Right now. So what are we doing? In a lot of ways, we're tending to this perfection. We're cleaning up, to use Sensei's uh, phrase. We're cleaning up. But we're not cleaning up because there's dust that's collected. We're cleaning up something where no dust can collect. That's what we're doing on Sashim. We're cleaning up something that's already clean. That's the intention. Intention's a funny word. Kiku and I started a conversation the other day about intention's a funny word, but that's the intention for this session. We're going to be talking all week about the theme that we put out there in the title, which was non-dual spiritual progress, which is a complicated phrase. We'll get back to it. But just to start us, I thought it was most important that we begin by being gentle with yourself tomorrow, today. Tending to something that's already whole and okay and free of dust. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Hakkabai Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Hakkabai and how to give, please visit us on the web at hakkabai.org.